Check one, two to my Broad Street crew. Ringing the alarm. It's time to wake you up to the notion. There's been some commotion. The sellers are in motion, making waves in the ocean of our confidence. We got to play defense. Hold the line. Read the signs and keep in mind that things have changed. The market's rearranged. What's hot and what's not. Like fire and ice, it's hard to find price. Discovering a nation battling inflation while Russia may start a provocation and we threaten sanctions and escalations of tensions, not to mention higher interest rates are coming here, the funky drummer drumming. But don't lose your grip, miss a step and slip on the tracks of fear, anxiety, and distress. You got me, I got you on this here Investopedia Express. Tense stock market is getting tenser as concerns about a potential conflict between Russia and the Ukraine are heating up. That's driving oil prices well above $93 per barrel, the highest levels we've seen since 2014. While investor anxiety was already spiking following last week's inflation reading, which hit 7.5%, the highest in 40 years, concerns about a geopolitical conflict between Russia, the Ukraine, NATO, and its allies are growing by the minute. J.P. Morgan's commodities desk says that if Russia invades Ukraine, prices could spike to $120 per barrel. On Sunday, Bob Menendez, chair of the U.S. Senate Finance Committee on Foreign Relations, told CNN that lawmakers were devising, quote, the mother of all sanctions against Russia, which could include cutting off its export capacity. If Russian oil exports are cut in half, J.P. Morgan says Brent oil prices would likely raise to $150 per barrel. Keep in mind, the all-time high for oil prices was set in July of 2008, when Brent spiked to a record $147.50 per barrel. The S&P 500 fell 36% that year. Granted, there was a lot of other things going on in 2008, like the great financial crisis, but ultra-high oil prices are rarely good for the stock market, especially when inflation is at a four-decade high. And the stock market is reeling right now as investors stick to safety and buy cheap stocks. The year's top-performing S&P 500 sectors are those that ended 2021 with the lowest price-to-earnings ratios. The energy sector traded on December 31st at 11 times its projected earnings and is now up 23% year-to-date. The financial segment, which entered the year at 14.7 times earnings, is the only other sector in positive territory for the year with a gain of 4%. The U.S. Treasury yield curve has been flattening over the past few months as the Federal Reserve prepares to hike rates, and some analysts are forecasting more extreme moves or what is even known as yield curve inversion. That's no yoga pose, my friends. That can sometimes be a harbinger of a recession. Let me explain. The U.S. Treasury finances federal government budget obligations by issuing various forms of debt. The $23 trillion Treasury market includes Treasury bills with maturities from one month out to one year, notes from two years to 10 years, as well as 20 and 30-year bonds, those we call long bonds. The yield curve plots the yield of all of those Treasury securities. Typically, the curve slopes gently upwards to the right because investors expect more compensation for taking on the risk that rising inflation will lower the expected return from owning longer dated bonds. That means a 10-year note typically yields more than a two-year note because it has a longer duration. Yields move inversely to prices. A steepening yield curve typically signals expectations of stronger economic activity, higher inflation, and higher interest rates. We had that back in 2021. A flattening curve can mean the opposite. Investors expect rate hikes in the near term and have lost confidence in the economy's growth outlook. That feels kind of like where we're at right now. Back to today, and yields on short-term U.S. government debt have been on the rise as investors anticipate a series of rate hikes by the U.S. Federal Reserve, while longer-dated government bond yields have moved at a slower pace amid concerns that policy tightening 
may hurt the economy. So, the shape of the Treasury yield curve has been flattening. The spread between yields on the two-year and the 10-year Treasury notes, which is generally considered to be a key indicator of investor expectations, shows the gap at roughly 47 basis points, 30 points lower than where it ended 2021. While rate increases can be an effective coolant against inflation, they can also slow economic growth by increasing the cost of borrowing for everything from mortgages to car loans. That's the needle the Fed is trying to thread. Cool down inflation without putting the economy into a deep freeze and a possible recession. I just want to tell you both, good luck. We're all counting on you. Oh, the great Leslie Nielsen as Rumac, an airplane. The eye of that needle looks even smaller when you consider how much spending U.S. consumers have been doing for the past year and a half. According to the New York Fed, U.S. household debt hit $15.8 trillion in the fourth quarter of 2021. That's an increase of $333 billion from the previous quarter. Credit card balances alone hit $860 billion, a $52 billion in that same time frame. That's the largest quarterly increase in the 22 years the Fed has been collecting data. The surge in debt overall was driven by home and car purchases, two of the big drivers of inflation. While that sounds terrifying, keep in mind that overall credit card balances are lower than they were pre-pandemic, about $71 billion lower. And according to the Fed, Americans used a lot of pandemic-era government aid to pay off their debt, which means they had available credit to use on new purchases. We're going to see how much firepower consumers have if inflation lingers at these high levels. Consumer sentiment hit another 10-year low in January. Let's get set up for the week ahead. This week, the Senate Banking Committee meets to vote on Fed Chair Jerome Powell's reappointment, along with the nominations for Fed Governor Lael Brannon for position of Fed Vice Chair and several others. Powell is currently serving as the Fed's interim chair as his term expired earlier this month, but he and the Federal Open Market Committee, which sets interest rate policy, have been taking a lot of heat for their response to runaway inflation. Powell will get reappointed, and so will Brainerd, though. Investors can also expect a handful of earnings before the season winds down, with NVIDIA, Walmart, Applied Materials, Roku, and DraftKings among those companies set to report. It's been a hostile environment for companies out there that miss forecasts or warn of turbulence ahead, especially in the after-hours trading market. Meta Platforms, aka Facebook, will hold an all-hands employee meeting on February 15th, during which a major announcement is anticipated on how the company plans to realize its visions for the metaverse. Remember, Meta Platforms spent $10 billion last year building out the metaverse and its virtual reality and gaming platforms. Zuckerberg believes that it's Meta's next pathway to growth, so Tuesday is an important day in Menlo Park, California. On Tuesday, we'll also find out whether wholesale inflation hit the brakes last month after slowing dramatically in December or rose faster than expected like retail inflation when the Bureau of Labor Statistics releases the producer price index. The PPI measures price movements for sellers of raw goods, and economists are projecting that they rose 0.4% in January after a smaller rise in December. And keep an eye on the U.S. housing market. We'll get a reading on housing inventory and existing home sales later this week, and both will likely show a slowdown as inventories are tight and the rate on the 30-year mortgage is right around 4% right now and climbing. Imagine if you could quit your day job, trade the market, and make enough money to travel the world as you trade. Sounds like a fantasy, and social media is full of people who say they're doing it, they're living their best life, but what does it actually mean to make that happen? Terry Ijeoma may have figured that out. She began her career working in education and in the nonprofit sector, but nine years ago she taught herself to trade so she could travel, and now she's teaching thousands of students around the world how to do it. I don't know how we managed to catch up with her since she is literally all over the world and all over social media platforms, but we did, and Terry is our special guest this week 
on the Express. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. This is great. We're really delighted you're here. Take us to the moment, Terry, when you realized that you could actually make money trading stocks and that you could actually make enough to live your dream to travel and trade. What were you doing when all that happened and how did you put it together? Sure. So I guess I'll take you back to high school was when I first was introduced to the stock market. I went to a program at Northwestern University. It was for juniors in high school about to be seniors. And they introduced us to finance and they took us to the Chicago Stock Exchange. So that was my first introduction to stocks. And I remember going home that summer as a senior, Google had their IPO. And I remember asking all of my teachers and my grand, my grandmother, like, how do I get in? It's $83 a share. How do we do it? And like, nobody knew what to do. So, <laughs> so I remember feeling so discouraged because we couldn't get in. We didn't know how to open an account. We didn't know what to do to buy the share. And I ended up going to MIT later and interning uh, at Morgan Stanley. And that was like my second introduction. I was like, okay, people are actually doing this. But when I really learned that I could make money to travel and supplement my income, I was assistant principal at an elementary school. I had gone down this whole different track in education for 10 years. And I remembered like, I think I can actually make some money in the market. I was looking for an exit strategy. My bosses were crazy. I wasn't happy. My friend had just passed away. And I said, you know what? All I really need is $300 a day to replace my income as an assistant principal. That's it. I don't need a ton of money. I don't need to like be balling like <laughs> you see some people. No, I just need two to three hundred dollars a day. So I started practicing with my old retirement. So several of the companies that I had left, I had IRA or 401k and 403b sitting there. I moved it to a self-directed IRA and started practicing with that until I could make enough to, to replace my income. So you did this as an income replacement thing before you even thought about truly building wealth. You said, get me out of this paradigm and get me into a new one where I can control my time, which is a fascinating way to go. Tell me about the early days of you learning how to trade. When you go to cash your retirement accounts out anyway, that's a tax implication. But then you have this money in your hands. Tell me about some of your early mistakes. Oh, I made so many big mistakes. So I've been trading now 12 years. I started in 2010 and all of this time, it was just a side hustle, side hustle while I'm in education. Some of the big mistakes was I didn't know what I was doing for the first six years. I just, I lost more than I made. I knew that it could work because I was just watching CNBC and watching Jim Cramer and they were doing it. And I figured this has got to work, but I called myself smart. So I said, well, I'm going to come up with my own algorithm. I'm an MIT girl. I can do this. I think one of the biggest mistakes was not learning from the people who had come before me me and thinking that you had to do it all by yourself. There's so many good traders out there that have had systems that work. I wish I had known to even go to classes or do research earlier. Like even Investopedia, I'm so glad that you guys are around because like you can do so much research and I didn't know. Back then I just thought I had to figure it out. I think another big mistake was feeling like I had to like if I had made a mistake, I just had to wait for it to come back up. And not knowing that there was any risk management, like I didn't even know there was a stop loss in the beginning. I found that out probably six years into trading that I could protect myself. Like what? No, wait, wait, wait. I could set a price where I don't want to get out of this stock no matter what. Definitely, right? Right. Man, how much money would I have saved if I knew that was a thing? But six years in, I learned that I could protect myself. 
And then just so many other things. I had my biggest loss after I had finally quit my job as assistant principal. I started traveling all over like you asked about. And my first place was South Korea. And then I went to Thailand. That's where I had the first biggest loss. I had been trading earnings of Pandora. And first of all, all that was wrong. Like I I now feel like I shouldn't trade earnings. It's too risky. But I know a lot of people make good money from it. I'm just for me, it was my biggest loss. So I try to stay away from it. And I remember we had this beautiful ceremony in Thailand. We were letting balloons fly. Have you ever done that ceremony or seen one of those? I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I remember one of my wishes was, Lord, I just want to be a better trader. (laughs) And I had let my balloon go. And then I go to like a side alley. It's it's past midnight now because the U.S. market opens really late in Thailand. And I find a seat. I open my cell phone because I'm trading on my phone while I travel. And I look down and it's just dropped like $3 overnight. And my silly self, I had 8,000 shares. That was another big mistake. Why was I even trading that many shares? That's the bad risk management thing too. I panicked. I remember calling my mom, crying and bawling. Lord, mommy, I'm going to have to go get a job again. So biggest mistakes, so many things. But one of the big ones was not knowing about risk management. I think that's been huge for me. That's been something I'd have to had to really build out in my trading career. That's the core of everything. Know how much you can lose, how much you can afford to lose. Diversify so you're not all loaded up in Pandora. I laughed because I made the same mistake. Lehman Brothers fell from 80 to 19. I think I'm a genius because who's going to put Lehman Brothers out of business? They're out of business two weeks later and there goes my biggest investment. That stung a lot. But you obviously have a passion for travel. You did this so you could replace your income, but you also want to travel the world and you've been doing it. How do you do that and trade the market at the same time? Do you set yourself up in a place where you say, every morning when the market opens in New York, I'm going to be in a place where I can make sure I set my positions? How do you actually do that, Terry? Yes. So actually, I'm traveling right now. I live in Puerto Rico, but I'm in Atlanta for interviews. So what I do is I make sure that no matter what time zone I'm on, I set my alarm for an hour before the market starts so that I can look at the pre-market, do some research. And so I trade for about, honestly, the actual trading is about 15 minutes in and out. But that first couple hours of the trading day, I want to make sure that I'm present. I know what's going on in the news. I know what the stocks are doing. And then after that, I can have the rest of my day. So no matter what time zone I'm on, the coolest thing is when you're in Asia, because that means you're doing you're trading at night and you get to have the, the whole day to yourself to explore. And then you come back and you're like, OK, cool. Now I'll open it at night while everybody else is chilling and I'll make make my money. So biggest thing is I'd like to trade those first couple hours. I check back around lunchtime of the market. So wherever I am in the world, I just check my phone. And then at the end, I check for about the last hour. I see what's going on, make any new decisions for the next day. But that's kind of the cadence. And then I'm a big technical analysis trader. So I can set up my charts and see like, okay, this is the price I want to get in or this is the price I want to get out and have that homework sit in there for the week. That also is helpful. I'm more of a swing trader than a day trader, but I look at it every day. So folks, day traders, and Terry makes a great point here. You only need to trade a few hours of the market. Some day traders just trade the pre-market or the post-market, close their positions, take note to stocks with them to the next day. Typically, swing traders may hold a position overnight, a week, a month, sometimes even a year. So you got positions and you got your stops in there. You got your limits in there. You know the patterns you're watching and the price activity. 
And then you just set it up and you look and you have your alerts coming to you, right? Every day on the stocks that you're monitoring your watch list, right? Alerts are one of the best secrets that I have found. Instead of actually placing the trade, you can actually have an alert. It tells you on your phone, like a little notification, and then you go in and and check. That's one of the biggest secrets, I think, for a trader that's active like me. If you can't watch it all the time, at least have a notification pop up and then you can go go work and look at it. That's so important for folks. So you created Trade and Travel, which is your online platform, but it's also the gateway to your courses that you're teaching on trading and investing. And I've been watching the testimonials from your customers and your fans. They love what you're doing and you're teaching them a lot, but that's not easy to do, Terry. Trade the market, travel like you want to travel, and run this business of online education. We do it too. And we're a big company. You're Terry. How are you doing this? I'll tell you the truth. It is something that's an adjustment. You go from being just a trader to now being trader and CEO of a company. And I look at it more like I'm back to being in a principal because it feels like a school and we have 12,000 to 16,000 students coming through the school at all times. So it is an adjustment. And I have had to figure out how to manage both. One thing that I've tried to do is make sure that I have teams that run the school. So we now have coaches that can do live study groups and office hours, and I don't have to do every coaching call, which is nice. But when it's sometimes it's just fun. Like I did a five day challenge the other day, teaching people how to get started and take their first trade. I still love teaching. So it's hard to juggle. It's a lot, but I love both. So it it makes it so much better. Terry, you've been doing this for a long time and you know this well, but a lot of folks coming to this for the first time or who came into the market in the past couple of years don't really know what it's like to trade a bear market or trade a choppy market or trade with that uncertainty that you and I, if you've been doing this as long as we have, we saw it in 09 and 08 and 09. We saw it a couple of years ago. So now we're in this choppy time. How do you teach and navigate these massive sell-offs especially when everyone looks like a genius when things are on the way up. What are you telling your customers and your te- and your students now? So in trade and travel, it's eight weeks. The first half is mainly focused on how to make money when the market is going up. So you're picking good companies, you're doing risk management, you're looking at charts. But the second half, when we talk about short selling, gaps in Globex, and then options, I think is really built for people that can make money when the market goes down. So one of the things I've been taking advantage of is, is selling options or selling verticals. So I've been just, instead of trying to guess to see if I'm going to be right, I'm looking at, okay, as long as it stays above this place, I can bring in some credit. Okay, as long, and I might be saying the term wrong. So y'all look at Investopedia, but I just think of it as I'm selling options. But as long as it stays kind of above this area, I'll bring in some credit. Or as long as it stays below this price, I'll bring in some credit. I've been doing those type of trades so that I can have a little bit more flexibility. I don't have to be exactly right and still make money during this season. And then also short selling has been big for us too. We've done really well. I say we, but I'm thinking me and and many of my students have done really well being able to make money when some of those stocks have been falling. The most important thing there is actually keeping your eye on that because if you short sell, you could end up if the market turns against you with some massive losses there. I assume not a lot of margin going on, but it's okay to short sell, but you got to keep your eye on these things. So it's not set it, forget it. If you're going to do this, you have to do this with rules in place, right? Yes. You have to have a system. And I'm sure like a lot of good traders, Terry, you probably keep a log or a journal of, what did I do that went well there? What did I do that went wrong? And how can I learn from it? I do. We talked about mistakes earlier. I was on the wrong side of Tesla when it started going up a long time ago. I was, <laughs> I had short sold it and then it started skyrocketing up. So you definitely have to have protection if you're short selling and if you're selling options and you're right. It's something that you have to keep your eye on. So even now when I am busy, then I can pause 
And I think people don't realize if you're a trader, it's a skill set that you can turn on and off. So if you get really busy and you're not able to look at the market, it's okay to take a break. That's actually a superpower for traders. Take the best trades. You don't have to take every trade. And when you're too busy to look at it, you might want to think about selling some of those positions that you can't pay attention to. Yeah. In deciding not to make a trade is also an, an investing and trading decision. And it's a pretty powerful one. As you say, nobody is required to do anything unless you have a big position that could get impacted. You don't have to do anything. As a trader, you could liquidate everything today, come back tomorrow and start anew. As a long-term investor, and I know you teach some of that as well, that's a different game. So I, I look in, at all the testimonials from your customers and you have people from all over the world and all ages and everything, but you have a lot of women there, which is important because women typically are not as uh, active in the market as men are and haven't been and haven't had access, but you're also serving communities that typically don't get this type of exposure. And that's so important because they're missing one of the great pathways to building wealth or being able just to make some money to help them with their bills. So I know a lot of what you're doing is to help people just learn in general and, and continue to improve your craft. But touching the community and helping those underserved communities is important to you, right? It's so important. There was an article that came out on CNBC recently, and it said that many African-Americans had missed building the wealth gap or bridging the wealth gap because they weren't invested in the last couple of years when the market had gone up so high. So recently I was telling you we had a five-day challenge. We had over 7,000 people and 90% of them were African-American. Many of them actually like 35 to 55, either they've been in their jobs for a little while and just want to make a pivot or they're looking to retire, but they were learning for the first time how to take their first trade so that they can be invested. I think that's going to be the real way that we start bridging the wealth gap. Yeah. And we've had an unbelievable few years of returns that could change your life and could change your family's life if you were invested at the, at the right time. That said, Terry, and you know this well, you're never going to be able to pick the right time. So get in there and get started. Just at least try. You got to start now. If you never try, then you'll never be able to see what could happen. So we talked about some of your early mistakes. Tell me about one of your big wins. What was the first big win where you said to yourself, man, I can do this? First one. Okay. I'll tell you my first one. And then like one that I'm really proud of. So first one that I'm, well, two that I'm proud of. I was sitting in my office as an assistant principal and just think, Caleb, on a regular basis, I would be crying in the bathroom because I was so disappointed. Like my print, my assistant principals would always get on me like me and the other uh, not assistant, but the principals would get on me and me and the other assistant principal would cry in the bathroom all the time. So this is one time I'm sitting in my office and my I'm trading I can't even remember right now what I was trading, but it makes $3,000. And okay, that's, my, that's almost my salary. That's my salary as an assistant principal. So my principal comes in. This is the person that's been giving me all this grief. I just made my salary in a day trading. And I look up at him and he looks at me and I'm like, I wish you would say something right now because today is the day I would leave. <laughs> So I will remember that trade forever because it was my freedom trade. It was the day I knew that I could be free from trading and I could leave the job if I wanted to. I decided to stay till the end of that school year, but that's when I knew that I could actually go fulfill my dreams. And that's something I want more people to know, that they have options. Like if you learn how to, to trade and make some money and supplement your income, then now you have options to do whatever makes you happy. And it could be staying at work, but at least you don't feel stuck. And you're not crying in the bathroom like I was. That's, that's great. That's a beautiful story. 
And to your point, you could do this to change your life like you did. You could do it to supplement your income. You could do this just to turn on another part of your brain and maybe make a little money in the process. And there's all kinds of fulfillment. And you know this as well as I do. This is a never-ending educational journey. You, you don't get to the end of learning how to trade. You're always in process. Always learning something new. As a trader, I feel like you get something, you try to master it. And I do encourage people to do that. Like try to master at least one thing first. Then you can go to the next thing. Like, okay, I, I got Terry seven steps down. That's what she does in trade and travel. And it's making me a little money. Now let me go check out this thing. And let me go check out this. You can never stop learning. But it just, all of a sudden you start growing your confidence. I have one student, he's trading for his, co- his kid's college. He has twins. And he's trading to afford to pay for their college. And one of the things he said is he said, Terry, I didn't know that I could feel this confident when I learned this new skill and I started seeing that that I'm able to do this. It gave me this new level of confidence and then also discipline. It increased his discipline. It increased his patience. So he's growing as a man and a husband and a dad by trying to learn this new skill set of trading. That's just got to make your heart sing. I mean, that is kind of what you're here to do, help these people find that kind of freedom that you were able to find. What a beautiful story. It definitely does. Oh, I was going to tell you, I know we're probably running short on time, but I was going to tell you one other thing. I finally made a million dollars in a day from a trade. Whoa. Yes, I was trading Amazon. And you guys know I was starting with just $300 in a day. And then I got good at that. And I went to, okay, well, how about $1,000 in a day? I started making that pretty, pretty easily. And that's now what trade and travel, we teach our students, how do you make $1,000 in a day on a regular basis? And then I said, okay, well, I'm doing that and hitting that pretty, pretty consistently. Now, what about $100,000 in a day? So in 2020, I've made my first $100,000 in a day. And then I said, well, okay, I'm able to do that. This is getting not easy, but more consistent. How about a million dollars in a day? 2021, I finally hit a million dollars in a day trading stocks. And this was trading Amazon. Terry, you know, we're a site that's built on some our investing terms. People come to Investopedia to look stuff up. I know you've been there recently. I've been there recently. What's your favorite investing term and why? What speaks to your heart? You know what? Risk management is so important to me. After that first loss and feeling like, dang, I've got to go back to my job. Anything related to risk management, stop losses, quantity size, (laughs) targets, limit orders. (laughs) Like, so I'll say, I'll say stop loss. That's probably one of my favorite terms right now. It's a huge part of risk management. And a lot of folks don't know that you can do that to protect yourself on the downside and even on the upside there. So very smart one. I love that. We love that. One of our most popular ones here at Investopedia. Terry Gioma, so good to be with you folks. Check out tradeandtravel.com. Look at what Terry is putting out there in terms of courses. She's all over the social media channels, so you can find inspirational stories from her and also some great lessons. And it is a real delight to meet you and have you on The Express, Terry. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's terminology time, time for educated investors like us to smarten up with the investing term we need to know this week. This week, we're going back to basics, and Sean in Woodbridge, Virginia, is taking us there with P-E ratio, also known as the price-to-earnings ratio. This is one of the most popular terms on Investopedia, and it's getting a lot of attention right now given the sell-off in tech stocks and the weakness in the broader market. Well, according to Investopedia, the P-E ratio, the price-to-earnings ratio, is the ratio for valuing a company that measures its current share price relative to its earnings per share, EPS. The price-to-earnings ratio is also sometimes known as the price multiple 
or the earnings multiple. P.E. ratios are used by investors and analysts to determine the relative value of a company or an index's shares in an apples-to-apples comparison. It can also be used to compare a company against its own historical record or to compare aggregate markets against one another over time. P.E. may be estimated on a trailing, backward-looking, or forward-projected basis. A high P.E. ratio can mean that a company's stock or an index is overvalued or else that investors are expecting high growth rates in the future. Well, let's put this into context when we look at the S&P 500, the benchmark index. It traded late last month at a low of 19.3 times projected earnings over the next 12 months, according to FactSet, falling below 20 for the first time since April of 2020. That was down from the 21.5 multiple at which the benchmark entered the year, but still above the five-year average of 18.9. Translation, even though the stock market has sold off to begin the year, it still has a relatively high price-to-earnings multiple and may be considered overvalued by some investors. Good suggestion, Sean, in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're sending you a pair of the slick and reliable Investopedia socks for your next hike over to the Occoquan Bay National Wildlife Refuge right there in Prince William County. We're going to let famous Wally Amos take us out this week. Amos was the founder and face behind those famous Amos chocolate chip cookies a lot of us over a certain age grew up with here in the U.S. He was a dynamic entrepreneur, but eventually lost ownership of his eponymous company and stripped of his brand. But he kept on baking, creating Uncle Wally's Muffin Company and other successful baked goods. And he is reportedly still active at the stove today somewhere down there in South Carolina. Here's Amos and his advice for young people seeking a career. It doesn't matter what career you choose. But what matters is to choose a career that you love in a field that you love, that it won't be work, that you will look forward to doing it every single day, and that you'll be so excited to work with your other team members. The word team says, together, everyone achieves more. So you're all terrific. You're all supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You are supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, Wally, and so are all of you. And thanks for riding with us this week and always. We'll talk again a little further on down the line. <music>